Wartney. Been here since day one. <laughs> you know, short answer, I just think it means sharing what you have, whatever that might be. I think there's an inclination to think, oh, you've got a big house or, you know, got fancy china and so you can have people over and but that's that's not what it is it's just sharing what god's blessed you with he gives to me and i think he expects me to give back the reason he gives to me is so that i can give it it's listed as a gift in the bible and it's easier for some people than others i i think that's really what that means nonetheless if you give anything of what God has given to you, I think that's hospitality, that's sharing Jesus. Obviously, Thanksgiving has been a big one, and that goes way, way back. We didn't have family in town, and um, it just was lonely. <laughs> but you're just thinking, no, this should be about, this should be about family. Um, you ought to have people over, so then the next year, um, actually, the next year, another couple asked us, and that's, that just got it rolling. I have gotten notes from people that would say, 10 years ago, when we first moved to Tallahassee, we had Thanksgiving at your house or, or something else, you know, and you'll just never know. And I'm just always thinking, who knew? It always surprises me. Maybe the invitation all by itself would speak. Say, hey, um, we'd like to get acquainted. Why don't you come and join us? That, just that much says volumes. Some people feel like they can't extend hospitality because of the situation they live in. Um, but I think hospitality can be Hey, let's go get lunch together. Dutch treat. <laughs> let's just go get coffee, <laughs> if that's what you can afford. It's extending yourself and extending for, for Jesus' sake. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to E3. This is week two of Pathways. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, that is Amy Gortney. She's one of the members of, of Wise Council here and, and just a, a, great, a great woman, has great stories, um, friend, been friends with her son actually for um, almost 20 years now. So we, we actually go back to when I still lived in Chicago. But uh, I love what she has to say about hospitality, and what I want to explore today is, is some of the value of hospitality and how it's lived out in, in people's lives around E3. Now, if you were to walk into the Gortney's home uh, and look for a sign of hospitality, I'm not really sure that you might come across something like folding chairs. But as we were thinking about what are the signs of a disciple of Jesus at E3, particularly in the area of hospitality? The whole idea of having folding chairs in your house just came into my mind. Uh, folding chairs just signify a readiness and a, uh, an expectation even of having company. 
you know, in my house, we try to live out this value a little bit, and we don't have folding chairs, but we have some extra chairs, and they're just stacked over in the corner of our living room because we enjoy having people in our house. And so when they show up, you got to have extra chairs, and you just throw them out, and you welcome people as best you can. And so this is the sign, the icon of hospitality at E3 this week. And I don't know if you have any extra chairs in your house. Maybe you've been wrestling with the value of hospitality. Go to Costco. They're quite cheap, I hear. Um, and, and just find some and be ready when people come over to your house. But I like what, what Mrs. Gortney says uh, at the same time she says that hospitality really isn't about you know, what you have to give. It's not about the quality of a meal that you serve. There is something bigger going on in the value of hospitality. And actually, that's what I want to explore with you guys, because we can be honest and say, as she said, not all of us have maybe a large home. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you live in a dorm. How do you live out the value of hospitality, especially if you feel like you're not in a position where maybe you can host people or express hospitality in the stereotypical ways? And that's what, what, what I want to ask us ourselves today. And, uh, and just kind of spend some time with. And I want to do it with a, with a scripture that has been on my heart and on my mind for a long time. I've actually been really excited to teach hospitality for, for a long time at E3, and it's one of these kind of unexplained things of just, I've wanted to do this. I asked Mark if I could specifically teach this week, uh, and this is not to say that I'm an expert in hospitality at all. It's just I have this strange, unexplained energy for it. And I've also had this strange, unexplained energy for a particular passage of Scripture that comes in Genesis chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, and you want to start heading there right now. Um, I want to tell you, this is a story about one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, a guy named Abram or Abraham. You hear me talk about him all the time. He is a, a gentleman that God focuses all of his attention on when God decides to kind of inaugurate his rescue operation of the earth. When God says, I'm going to fix everything, he starts with one man in one man's family guy named Abram, Abraham. He says, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and that nation is going to be the origin and the focal point of my rescue operation for all of earth. Everything that's been wrong, I'm going to set right, and it's going to happen through you. And uh, he says, Abram, you're going to have this great family, and for a while, it's, it's, there's this tension because for a while, God has made this promise, but Abram doesn't have a family, so he waits for a long time. Like you've said, I'm going to have this family, God, but there's no family, there's no son, there's no children right now to start this thing off. And so we're going to read this short little story while they are still waiting for, to have children. This happens. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 18. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf 
and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. So that's the story. It's this strange, uh, unexplained story where three people, and we're told in the scriptures that it's God, and two uh, messengers, we would understand them as angels, and they th- show up at the, the, the front of Abraham's tent, and Abraham jumps into action. He responds immediately to them. And the first thing I want you to know about this story is that this is very, very much just a normal story of hospitality in the ancient world. And it's also a story of hospitality in the ancient Middle East. See, hospitality in the ancient world was a sacred value because there were no hotels. There were no places where a traveler could pull off to the road and feel relatively safe. So if somebody showed up at your home in the ancient world, you were expected to shelter them and to feed them. And that, is, uh, that value is more pronounced in the Middle East because the Middle East is a harsh environment. There's a lot of deserts. There's not a lot of water. So in the Near East, if you refused hospitality to a traveler, it was very much the same as consigning them to death by starvation or thirst. And so if somebody showed up, you were expected to respond. And that's what Abraham does, very much just along the lines of where he lives. Now, I stumbled across a video uh, a few, actually a few months back, that really shows how this value is lived out today. Because if you went to the Middle East today, maybe you have, you experience hospitality still along the same way that, that Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham responds to these messengers. In the Middle East, hospitality is something that is uh, really, really a value that is pushed to the front. And if you show up at somebody's home, they welcome you in very uh, gregariously and they sit you down and they prepare a meal for you and there's an expectation of how they're supposed to behave and also an expectation that you do not refuse the hospitality. So there's a, a guy named Anthony Bourdain who is a chef and, and a cultural sort of a critic and observer and he had a show on CNN called Parts Unknown and what he would do on this show would go to different areas of the world And he would go and just sample the food, which is always great to watch. And he also just looks at the culture. And in season two, he goes to Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. And he goes to both sides, the Jewish side and the Palestinian side, looks at what's going on in their culture, looks at some really exciting chefs. And in one segment, he goes into a Palestinian home. And I just want to show you how the value of hospitality still lives very, very strong in modern-day Middle East. So just watch this short clip of him in somebody's house. The Sultan family own a small farm in the Badi Sela area of the eastern Gaza Strip. Um Sultan and her husband are unusual in that they cook together. This is not typical in this part of the world or in this culture. They use their own fresh-killed chickens to make the Gazan classic, makluba, a traditional Palestinian dish comprised of layers of fried eggplant, tomato, potatoes, caramelized onions, and chicken, sautéed, then simmered in a broth with nutmeg, cinnamon, cardamom, and rice. 
It's a big family. Children, grandchildren, all living under the same roof. And it can get chaotic. So let's talk about food and eat food, because it's just sitting here. Tell yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, what, sure, sure. what do we have here? Okay, so this is called ma'luba, or maqluba. Traditionally with lamb, in this case chicken. They're very concerned that we're being very rude and we're not... <laughs> we're not allowing, no, the others to eat. He's saying, how can you be eating and you're letting everybody stop? Uh-uh. Okay, first of all, who's, who's hungry now? Because that dish looks so amazing. Did you catch what happened there at the very end? The father gets up, and he's really, really up, upset. He's tweaked, and he's, he's talking to his daughter, and she said he's upset because we're not allowing the others to eat. And Anthony Bourdain is like, what do you mean? And she's referring to the camera crew, that the father, uh, in his expression of hospitality, they are leaving somebody out. They are leaving the crew out. And this is what the value of hospitality looks like in the Middle East. It is not a passive kind of like, hey, you're in my kitchen. The glasses are over there. Take care of yourself. It is, no, you are in my home. I am expected to show you a certain amount of intentional attention. It's a very radical uh, expression of hospitality. And I think we get this. And I want to show you one other video clip. And I want to kind of set it up by this way. Um, maybe you guys um, know this. Let me just put this picture up. Anybody know who this is or what scene this is? Anybody? A couple of people do. Yes. Uh, so there is a book uh, series that came out actually a, about a dozen years ago called Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin. And there's a scene, and I, I want to be careful here because I don't believe in spoilers, but the, the, the video scene is two years old. The book's a dozen years old. Let me just say it this way. This author has a reputation of killing off characters that you become very, very much attached to. And there is a scene in the book where he does this, and he does it not only killing off a character, but violating hospitality in, in a profane way, okay? And it's called the Red Wedding. And there is something about it that not only are we losing one of our favorite characters of the book, but it happens in a way that violates everything we know about when you're supposed to feel safe, when you are in somebody's home, and they have welcomed you in, and then there's this betrayal, now, what's kind of funny about this is that uh, because the book is uh, a dozen years old and HBO made a miniseries out of it about three years ago, four years ago, there were a lot of people who knew what was coming when this particular episode was coming up, and they were watching it with people who had no idea. So a lot of people put their cell phone cameras on and videotaped their friends <laughs> reacting to this violation of both, I don't know, literary theory and hospitality. And the author came on Conan O'Brien and they showed him the video of people reacting to this scene in the miniseries. So just watch this. Huge response <laughs> to this last show, as I said, and you have spent years and years writing, writing uh, these, these stories and these characters and not knowing what the reaction would be there's a clip that's on the internet right now of fans reacting, YouTube video of fans <laughs> reacting to what you call the Red Wedding, which right. was the most stunning thing many of us have seen in television, maybe ever, certainly in a long, long time. Uh, so let's take a look now. You get to watch real fans reacting to the scene on Sunday. Let's take a look. 
So check it out if you want to watch it. It's, you know what's coming now. You've been warned. So hospitality is, is a value that somehow we all understand of like, there's this thing about making people feel safe in your home and, and making people uh, feel welcome and, and, and not slaughtering them, I guess. Um, <laughs> what I want to do real quickly, actually, is, is go back to the Genesis text, and I want to show, and I want to uh, examine what I would call just a few principles that come out of Abraham's encounter with these messengers and, and, and with God. And the first thing I would, I would suggest that as a principle of hospitality is, is when somebody shows up uh, in your radar screen, in your purview, you respond immediately. You know, these guys show up at the front of Abraham's tent, and he gets up, and he's right there with them. And, and what I want to plant in your heads is that this is not just about food. It's not just about water. It's not just about your home. A lot of us can extend hospitality in places like our offices, you know, or our cubes, or our classrooms, or our dorms. Someone shows up, maybe at the door of your office, maybe they come and sit down in your cube, and they just have that look about them that says, I need to talk, right? And the first thing that we need to do is we need to respond immediately. Abraham is, is right there with them. There's no sort of, uh, I'll get to you in a little bit. Uh, there's no... There's no sort of um, ignoring the strangers. They're there. And then he welcomes them with this lavish expression of bowing and, and Lord, uh, I welcome you and let me take care of you. And sometimes people come into our, again, our offices or our cubes. And one of the best things we can actually do to them is honor them and not just tolerate them, not just not just kind of roll our eyes at the interruption of our day, but turning our attention to them and say, I welcome you, welcome you, sit down. Do you need a cup of coffee? Do you need a glass of water? I'm here. It's important that you're here, and it's important that I'm here with you. There's all kinds of ways to make people feel welcomed and honored in our midst. And then Abraham offers them some form of rest and rejuvenation. And this is obviously a meal that he prepares. He says, let me get you some water for your feet and let me get you some food. And that's what we need to offer people a lot of times. But a lot of times, the type of rest and rejuvenation that people need in our circles are in the form of a listening ear and an open heart and something called empathy. I will share your burden with you. That is really restful to a lot of people. People don't come into our homes or our, or our offices or our dorm rooms needing always, you know, chips and salsa and some kind of drink. A lot of times what they need is our full attention and say, tell me what you're going through right now. It's not just food and drink. Hospitality is much bigger than this. And Abraham takes an active role in this. He doesn't merely say, Sarah, get the bread made. He goes out, he gets the lamb or he gets the calf. He is involved in this. And this is a way of honoring people. It's not just, again, a matter of saying, hey, I'm glad you're here. The, the dishes are in there. Um, or, you know, just tell me your story while I'm working on something. There is an active intentionality to Abraham's hospitality. And I think it's something that we can learn from. And then lastly, I love this, Abraham overdoes it. 
Because if you notice, they show up and he says, hey, let me get you some food. But man, I would sit down to that feast. It sounds like what Abraham really does is prepare a feast. He sort of under-promises and over-delivers. And if you take that out again, out again of the, the arena of food, you think about the amount of attention that you can lavish on somebody who's hurting. When they come in to your presence, and again, you don't just tolerate them, but you go above and beyond, and you say, I am putting aside my work right now because the most important thing that's happening right now is you sitting here with me. That is above and beyond the level of just, hey, you're in here, tell me about your day, okay, see you later. It is time and attention that expresses hospitality in a profound, profound way. Now, hospitality extends all the way into the New Testament because the New Testament is, takes place still in the Middle East, still in the Near East, and it still takes place in the ancient world. So you see texts in the New Testament that talk about hospitality. I wanna talk about just a couple of them to show you how this all connects because as we begin to explore hospitality, I think the ramifications of this value become more and more spiritual, more and more profound, more and more important. So as we look at a passage uh, like in 1 John chapter 4, John the Apostle is writing to a church, and he says this, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Now, if you've been around E3 at all, you know this is sort of in our DNA. The most important command, the only real command that Jesus gives us is what? Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others. And this is all that John is saying right here. And let me remind you, I think it's really profound that the words that Jesus used and the words that John uses for loving God and loving others is the exact same word. Okay? And Greek is a very precise language. So if the author or if Jesus wanted to say, hey, loving God is different than loving people, he would have said it in a different way. The same word, agapao, for loving God is the same thing that we show to our neighbors. And I want to suggest to you that this is hospitality. Okay? Bringing people into your presence, into your home, into your office is a tangible day-to-day -day way that you love others. So the principles that we just ran through, I wanna suggest that is the way that you love somebody the way you love God. You give them attention. You over-deliver in the attention. You are active in their presence. You honor them. You respect them. This is love. And this is the same love that we show to God. But then the question comes up, and this is where the New Testament begins to really challenge us, is who gets this love? Because John says right here, it's your Christian brothers and sisters. I think we all kind of nod at that. It makes a lot of sense. We come into a body like E3, we say, yes, we need to take care of each other. We need to care for each other. We need to show empathy and compassion for each other. Oh, and I get maybe that we're also part of a larger church in Tallahassee. We need to do that too. And I also get that we need to 
be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world. This hospitality love extends to all of the body of Christ. But, but, Jesus and God go one beyond that. Let me direct direct your attention to a scripture found in uh, the book of Romans. Romans is written by a guy named Paul. He's writing to a church, and he says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 13, when, people, when God's people are in need, again, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice what? Hospitality. Okay, so we go, all right. God's people, hospitality, I get it. Something very interesting about the word for hospitality in Greek. It is the word philozenia. Okay? And that word is formed by forming two Greek words together. Philo is is a form of love. Xenia is a form of the word stranger. So the Greek word for hospitality is literally loving strangers. So there's this tension that begins to occur that says, we are to focus on loving God's people in this church. But there's also this almost revolutionary subversive seed that says, but there's another level to this that is oriented around people that are strangers to you, that you don't know, that you don't see on Sunday mornings, that don't wear the myriad of E3 t-shirts that we all have. The thought that begins to take shape is that this love that I'm supposed to show may not have a limit to it. And that becomes a little stretching and uncomfortable. Jesus uh, obviously, I think, embodies this. There is a passage of scripture that I just want to summarize. He's talking to his disciples and he's talking about this time that's going to happen where people are going to be lined up in front of him in some sort of spiritual encounter. And there's going to be people on his left, and there's going to be people on his right. And he's going to say, people on, my, uh, people on the right, you, you did life the right way. And, they're going to, and they say, why? And he said, because I was in prison, and you visited me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me water. And the people on the right say, whoa, Jesus, we never did that. When did we do that? And he says, whenever you did it, to this phrase, the least of these. Then he turns to the people on the left and he says, you didn't live your life the right way. Why? Because I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was thirsty, you gave me no water. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was naked, you gave me no clothes. And they said, Jesus, we never saw you this way. And and Jesus says, whenever you didn't do this to one of the least of these, And the common thing between both those groups of people is that neither of them knew that they had missed it or that they had gotten it. Now hold that thought right there and go back to the story of Abraham. Because these people show up on Abraham's doorstep and the reader is told, the Lord visits Abraham. Does God ever tell Abraham who he is? 
So Abraham simply encounters three strangers on his front door. And he jumps into action. They're strangers. He has no idea who they are. But he responds. You see, you don't know. When someone comes into your office, I think the governing principle or the first principle is here is, yes, we're to take care of our brothers and sisters, but there's another thing that says, God says, you never know who's gonna come across your radar screen. So why not just err on the safe side and show hospitality to everyone? And in that way, you love God and you love others as yourself. The book of Hebrews uh, reminds us of this in, in Hebrews chapter 13 when the writer says, hey, keep showing hospitality to people because you may be entertaining angels and you don't even know it because that's what Abraham did. The person who's sitting in front of you in your office, I'm not saying they're an angel. They might be the exact opposite but you also might not know the role you're gonna play in their life. You might not know who they will become or who they even are because of your inner encounter with them. Uh, Mother Teresa used to say in regards to this idea of the least of these, she said that when she walked out of her door in Calcutta that she encountered Jesus Christ in distressing disguise. That whenever you encounter somebody who's hurting or needs to talk, or needs to have a meal just because their, their day has been so awful. If you take what she says and you combine that with Matthew, with Matthew chapter 25, what Jesus says about the least of these, when you are helping somebody, you are helping Jesus because Jesus is with those who hurt. It's just that simple. There's a story uh, I was reading this week about a, a village in France called La Chambonne. And in World War II, that village had a church in it. It was pastored by a guy named, I think his first name was Alexander. His last name was Trockmay. I think we have a picture of he and his wife. That's them. This village made the brave decision when they were invaded and, and overrun by Nazi Germany. They made the decision to shelter Jews. And so whenever the Germans would come through their village on a patrol, they would, they would get all their Jewish neighbors and they would say, get out of, get out of the village, go hide in the forest. And, the, and the, the patrols would come through, they would ask where the Jews were and they'd be like, oh, there's no Jews here, sorry, uh, there's none here. The Nazis would go on their way and then they would go out and, and, and say, it's safe, you can come back now. Thousands of Jews were saved from, from the Holocaust because of these, this, this man, this pastor. And I read what he said in this idea, to this idea of the stranger. He said, these people came here for help and for shelter. I am their shepherd. A shepherd does not forsake his flock. And I love this. I do not know what a Jew is. I know only human beings. And I think there comes a time when we're talking about hospitality where we say, you know what? I'm not gonna get hung up on who's in my group, who's in my tribe and who's out of my tribe. I know only human beings. And so I will give you what I have. 
I will respond. I will over-deliver. And I will not assume that you are in or out. And I want to end like this. Hospitality, I think, is, is, a def- is a way to define our relationship with God. Because you know what? If you went back to those principles that Abraham shows, that's exactly what God shows to us. Think about it. We show up on God's doorstep, maybe literally in a place like this. Maybe you show up on God's doorstep spiritually at your kitchen table or at a friend's house. And God instantly is there. Not pointing a finger at us, not saying, I don't know you, not saying, this is an inconvenient time. He says, come in. I've been waiting for you. I've been expecting you. And he offers us a hospitality in the form of love and peace and kindness. That is over-delivering. That is a feast that goes beyond food and water. He honors us. He does not welcome us into his home to point the finger, to shame, to say, you haven't been good enough, to say, coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's come in. Sit at my table and eat. Hospitality defines our relationship with God. Now, the last part of that equation, though, is we, sh- we get the opportunity to show hospitality to God the same way. Because hospitality is about making room for somebody. And the question that we all have to answer sometimes is, have you made room for the God that's made room for you? Have you been willing to say, God, come into my world. Let me honor you. Let me give you an offering of time and attention. Hospitality is far more than a meal. It's far more than having folding chairs, although that's part of it. It is a way to live out the gospel of Jesus in profound and real ways. So we've been having uh, these journal moments, and if you have your journals and you have a a pen, I want to just have you go ahead and open it. And I think the journal moment for me was really the verse out of Romans. So we're going to put this, uh, the Romans text up there again, and I would encourage you to just write it down in this moment. I, uh, one of those people that lost their journal, Pastor Dan, so... Maybe mine's at the Pathways booth. But just jot down this scripture. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And maybe you even circle that word hospitality and write strangers below it. And then when you're ready, and the text is also in the fridge fold, so if you don't get it, uh, it'll be there. Write down these two questions and process these this week. The first question is this. Who do I need to extend hospitality towards? Is there somebody in your work life, 
your community life, your neighborhood life that you need to live out these principles of hospitality towards. And then the second question is, is this. It's a little bit deeper. Have I accepted God's hospitality towards me? Have you come into God's tent, so to speak? Or maybe there's areas of your life that, that you haven't brought all the way in with you. And ask yourself this week, is there a way that I need to respond to God's hospitality in my life? I'm going to invite you guys to pray. And we're going to close our time by just uh, singing a song that speaks of God's radical love and acceptance. So let's prepare our hearts by uh, going to him in prayer.